there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio. I'm very excited to be here with you. It's a show about money. We are here to help you, uh, every single one of you. Rich or poor, we're here for you. Uh, I got a great show lined up for you. Uh, thanks, of course, to my producer, Jack Hartle, co-host and partner in business and crime. Uh, we got Brad Lamb, my favorite real estate mogul uh, in the world. Um, yeah, Donald Trump, Brad Lamb, I'll take Brad all day long, i tell you that much. And of course, uh, we're going to end the show with a great discussion on uh, cryptocurrency, the new one that may hit the market called Libra. Big news. This could be a ginormous. Is that a word, Jack? Ginormous? I think you can use ginormous right. to, to describe uh, Libra. <laughs> it is a- Although I think the, the dictionary definition is, is balance, right? In terms of right truth mm-hmm. for Libra. So the I think that the marketing team at the Facebook was thinking about those things when they came up with the name. Look, Facebook has 2.5 billion users. Two point, there is not a media outlet in the world that has 2.5 billion users. Uh, Facebook has it. And what, what a way to... Uh, uh, leapfrog uh, or use as a launch pad. Uh, well, just last week we were talking about the uh, the electronic payment system uh, and the electronic payment companies that we're investing in, and it looks like Facebook with the, the network that they have, we talked about how important the network is, um, they're going to launch this and they've got a few people scared, I'm sure. I think they do. Well, uh, look, we got uh, Brad Lamb in studio. Uh, it's such a great discussion, real estate. It's an important asset class. It's one I've always believed in. Um, and as such, uh, Brad, of course, knows the, the business best. Uh, thanks for coming back on the show, Brad. Oh, you're welcome. So uh, lots to cover. Um, I want to start with um, some work that you've done uh, in terms of sharing uh, with Canadians, uh, fellow brokers, and people interested in real estate. Um, I think a lot of your life's work uh, through some podcasts you have recently uh, posted. Uh, speak speak to that, please. Um, well, uh, yeah, we made 10 podcasts, um, and, uh, you know, we, we the reason why I did them was uh, part of it's marketing, of course. Uh, people hear them and uh, think I know something and then want to deal with our office to uh, to buy our developments or to, to work with us in buying and selling real estate or any other things we do. But the, the bigger goal was to try to disseminate some information to people. It's, just, it's very hard for people to get the truth and to get knowledge. I think in the internet world, and so I wanted to just cut to the bone and tell people, uh, you know, the truth about real estate, how I did it, how anyone can do it. Um, you don't need to be smart. Um, anyone can can achieve uh, great wealth through real estate. I, I like the, again a lot of lessons uh, being shared uh, with with a new broker. Uh, how many brokers exist in Canada? Is it thirty thousand? You know, I don't know, but uh, there's there's probably no, there's more than that. There's probably sixty thousand working in Toronto. Sixty thousand in Toronto. Real so you, agents, yeah. so you, you make a very good point. Um, any business, I believe, to be done well requires the old ten thousand hours, which means it, it must be full time. And and ideally, I want to work with people who have passion: real estate, wine, cars, stocks. Bonds, you name it. I want to deal with someone who has passion. No passion, not interested. You have passion. I see that. Um, 
if you do something part-time, I don't see the same degree of passion. And I think that's part of the issue you have with your industry. There's a lot of part-timers participating in it, selling a couple of deals a year uh, because their current full-time job allows them that time a luxury. And you, you make a point that that is not the person you want to deal with because a good agent, you believe, and I agree with you, can add value. So tell, me, tell me, what kind of value can a great agent offer that a slacker, slacker nation individual can't? Well, so, so I'll answer that in one sec, but here's the problem. We live in a shared economy now uh, for for young people, right? And and uh, they they need to do many things to make up, um, not, not all of them, but many to make up a, a solid income. The problem is they're not good at anything. They're just mediocre, right? So they might be... They might be a trainer, they might be a real estate agent, they might be a bartender. None of these things they're passionate about, so they're not really good at any of them. The big difference between a great real estate agent and a bad one is is knowledge. Um, you know, the reason why someone comes to you, Wolfgang, is to is to uh, is to make money and be and to be mentored and tutored in the in the stock industry, and they want to know that you know what you're doing. So if if you are a part-time real estate agent, you can't be a student of real estate. You need to immerse yourself 100% in it. And know all the things about it, and it's not—it's not easy to do unless you spend, you know, fifty, sixty hours a week doing it. You know, I'm, you've actually set me up nicely here because you—you've actually given me the layup here for this comment. Uh, Jack and I are portfolio managers. We build and manage stock and bond portfolios, specifically stock portfolios, or more importantly, stock portfolios, I should say. We are the experts. We have knowledge. We know every company we own. We own about 50 different companies, and we know why we own them. Each company sits in our portfolio for a specific reason. When we're right on the name, we let it run. When we're wrong on the name, we hopefully cut it and move on. Uh, whereas a lot of people want to outsource that job. That's hard work, what Jack and I do. A lot of people want to outsource that to a mutual fund, to a hedge fund, to a third-party manager. I believe we, Jack and I, add value. That's part of our differentiating factor. We add value by knowing our names. Listening to your podcast... You spoke about the amount of laborious work you did to generate your knowledge, i.e. dealing with the rental market. So again, if you're if you're a real estate agent out there, if you want to become a real estate agent, I want you to turn this radio station up right now. It's 640 you're listening to. We've got Brad Lamb in studio. Um, you, you want to know anything about real estate, Brad is certainly your go-to guy. Uh, so share with us the, the, the grunt work, the hard work you did to lay your foundation for success. Well, the first thing I did was I didn't rush out and try to sell anybody anything. I... I, I um basically visited all the condo buildings in the city. I acquired all their floor plans. I memorized them all. I knew all the units. I knew all the pricing. So when someone would call me and say, hi, I live in suite 413 and 35 Church Street, I'd say, oh, that's 1,100 square foot, one bedroom facing south. <laughs> uh, you know, and I've been in that unit, uh, and uh, the cabinets are white. And, you know, so I would know everything, and I would know all the units that had sold around it so that when someone talked to me right away on the phone, they'd be, this guy knows what he's talking about. The last guy didn't know anything about this building. This guy knows everything about the building. He knows where the pool is. He knows the names of the concierges. Like when I would walk into buildings, the concierges would say, Brad, how's it going? Right? Like that just, people are amazed by that. It means you're always in the buildings, right? And every building I'd go into, all the guys working there would know me and they'd like me because I'd make a, a, a habit of being nice to them, not, not a dink. You made a habit of being nice to them. Yeah. And yeah, not being a dink. It's amazing what happens when you're nice to people. Yeah, so so you know the thing is, the more you know, the 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 the, the more you know, it's easy for people to figure out you know this stuff, and they want to use you because they they know that you're going to save the money and 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 solve problems and not get into lawsuits. Knowledge is power. Uh, you are listening to Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, our distinguished guest, Brad Lamb, in studio. Jack Hartle, of course, my partner in business and crime. Uh, we're here to help you with your money. Uh, please stay tuned. More Hi-Fi Radio 
right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yes, it is. It is Hi-Fi Radio. It's Wolfgang Klein, your host. It is a money show. We just like to have some fun in here. I do. We, we work better when we have fun. I'm, I, I'm such a believer in walking around with a smile on your face and a positive attitude. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, there's no one with a bigger positive attitude, I think, uh, in this city than Brad Lamb. You, you don't put on... Uh, $100 million, multi $100 million projects without having a positive attitude on the outcome of such projects. You know, if you want to learn more about Brad Lamb, um, you know, you can certainly uh, enjoy the podcast of this show and share it with your friends. But uh, Brad, uh, Brad has just uh, completed 10 podcasts um, loaded with information, uh, loaded with knowledge. If you're willing to become an A or interested in becoming a real estate agent, if you are a real estate agent and want to get better, if you really want to get better, I think these podcasts can help you. Um, and if you're looking for a brokerage firm to work with, certainly the first one I would contact is Brad Lamb because I think you couldn't find a better, I think, life coach uh, than Brad uh, to be able to have time from a man like this. I think is very, very powerful. I think the uh, podcasts actually bring that too. It's not just for real estate agents. It's for business owners. It's for just general improvement uh, in terms of you know how you see and uh, how you see the world and as an opportunistic opportunity out there, right? Indeed. Um, g- great st- uh, story here as well. Uh, Tycoon Tips, Toronto real estate mogul Brad Lamb shares advice for millennials. Uh, sorry, where was this story published, uh, Brad? It is a recent story and I really enjoyed reading it. Sorry, you know, I don't, I, don't be sorry. I, I don't know. Oh, you don't uh, know where it was published? Yeah, it was, but we can find it. Um, uh, Yasmin, uh, I don't know, but anyways, it's a good t- Toronto tips. If you, want, if you want the story, you can contact WolfgangKlein.com. We can send it to you as well. Uh, it's a great piece. Uh, somebody speak to that um, because, you know, uh, what was your mother's name, by the way? Marilyn. Well, Mar- we- well, Marilyn. Marilyn had a little lamb. Isn't that sweet? I didn't know that. Because a beautiful picture of your mom and dad. It's gorgeous. It looks like they're a wedding yeah, picture, they're obviously. They're the beautiful couple. I, I, I covered your dad's hair just to see if there's a resemblance. Yeah, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it, buddy. It's a, it's a mix, really. It's a mix. Well, yeah. it's all right. I got a golden doodle at home. Um, <laughs> but, but the article really speaks to how the fact that it's not easy uh, starting out. Uh, and we've talked about millennials looking at potentially buying homes. Uh, for Brad Lamb, like you said, he's done multi-development properties, um, real estate agent extraordinaire here in Toronto. But uh, you started out from humble beginnings, um, you know, and there was some sacrifice, I think, along the way that you, you talk about in this story. Well, I think yeah, I would say it's slightly more than humble beginnings. Your dad was a pilot. Uh, so you see, yeah. you know, he, he, my, my parents worked in factories. My yeah. mother worked in a meat department. Well, here's, meat. What, here's what my dad did. Okay, so my dad uh, instilled in me uh, no half jobs, only full jobs, 110%, you know, so always give your best and, and don't ever do a crappy job. So that was what he gave me. You see, from a pilot, that, that's it. See, I don't want a crappy well, pilot. Could you imagine yeah, yeah, doing a crappy job today? I'm taking a slack day. I'm flying out. <laughs> no, no slack. Yeah, no, he was a great pilot. He was the best pilot. But... Um, what my dad did for me is he brought me up, he gave me a set of rules, he had, he, he helped my moral compass. I think he made me, uh, you know, an ethical man. Um, but what he didn't give me was a gift of money. My parents had a bit of money, you know, when they died, yeah. it was a bit of money. But but uh, he never gave it to me. And, and uh, what he did is he paid half my university. I went to school at Queens and became an engineer. He gave me half that money. I paid for the other half by working in the summer. I was a very hard worker. And that was it. After that, he said, get out of here, you're cut off. So, so everything I've done from the time I got to university was all me. 
My dad didn't give me a dime. But except that I, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here because uh, you did live at home until you're 30. So what my dad... Anyway, like, I, I worry about I don't want my kids around yeah, at yeah. 30. So, <laughs> so Mary had a little lamb, but the lamb hung well, around. I say, people, people look down on millennials that are living in their base, or their parents' basement. But if they have a plan, if they have a goal, and if they're willing to sacrifice, and that's part of sacrifice. So not I'm with you. you got to live with your parents. You. I don't think a 30-year-old so wants to live there. Here was the deal. My dad said, you can't sit around the house and sponge off me. you got to get a job. So I got a job right away as an engineer. I got my own car, and I also started a company. The company I still have today, I changed the name, it's BGL Properties, but it's the same company I started then. And with my dad's encouragement, always when I was a kid, start a company, start, start a company doing what? It doesn't matter. Start a company, get incorporated, when I was six or seven. So good. immediately I started I, I a company. Thing, my I bought my it's first good. property with my brothers. The money I saved was my money I saved. My, so yes, my mother did my laundry, she cooked food for me, and I had a room over my head. But I also... Um, completed my dad's requirement, which was to be gainfully employed and to start getting out in the world and being independent. No, so, right? You didn't pay rent? I didn't pay any rent. No, I no, didn't pay any rent. That's okay. No, I didn't. And so, so I paid rent. So, my parents so, made so me so pay I'll rent say, as soon as I started working. I had to that, pay rent. That's an advantage, but any parent can give that to a kid coming out of school. It's not a big uh, cost for them uh, to, to give them. They've already got the house. They've already got the room. They've already got the laundry soap to do the everyone else's stuff. So, so you, learned, you learned to do laundry at age 30 when you finally left home? Um, you know, I'd, or, did, or did you ever learn how to do laundry? Yeah, of course. I can, okay. I can do everything myself. I lived by myself for a long time, and I now I have people doing that stuff, but I know how to do everything. Before I'd give a task to someone, I'd know how to do it, right? I, I know how to do tons of stuff. I believe you. I'm I got my pilot's license. I got it when I was 19. You what? I got my oh, your pilot's license. When I was 19. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Um, so let, 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 let's move on here. The world of real estate—it's uh, such a—it's such a massive, massive market. Um, it's one that transcends markets upon markets, and real estate for the most part goes up. Uh, there's one exception, uh, and it's funny because asset classes are tied together. They're really tied at the hip. And the one real estate market that has never ever come back is the Japanese real estate market, as exception as exceptional as it was, and it continues to actually trend, I think, in a downward trajectory. But ironically, so the Nikkei, the Japanese stock market, is in the same boat. And I show you, I show you a chart here. The peak of the Japanese stock market was in the mid-80s, and it has never come close to those highs. It's still about, I'd say, 30% away from that peak. Yeah, that's because they won't expand their, their, uh, their workforce and their population. So they're a declining population. Japan is doomed. It also up. speaks to the amount of bubble that was uh, going on in the late 80s uh, in Japan. Well, like, I would say tulips have never come back either, Wolf. So, you know what I mean? It's When you have extreme bubbles in any asset class, you may never see those well, levels this is, again. This is a demographic bulge, though, right? That's, that's moved through there. So now this, this bulge is 30 years older, and they're 7 years old. Yeah. They're not spending money anymore. So their population's too old. They're, not, they're a very xenophobic society. They don't share. They don't want people living there that aren't Japanese, and that's the death of Japan. They need to bring in new people. So we have a demographic phenomenon taking place in the Western world, and that is um, uh, baby boomers' kids uh, who are basically, well, millennials, uh, and the other millennials, uh, they're turning 30. Uh, household formation begins. Uh, Brad Lamb is going to share with millennials uh, right after the break, as to how you can get into the real estate market, uh, when you should get into the real estate market, uh, and or uh, the trade-off between owning versus renting. This is Hi-Fi Radio. I'm Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, your host, Brad Lamb, in studio with us. We are talking money and lots of it. More of it right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. She's mighty, mighty. 
Mighty, mighty, Brad Lamb. This is Hi-Fi Radio. I'm Wolfgang Klein. It is a show about money uh, and real estate and assets. And, uh, well, we want to make sure that uh, you have all you can have and, and then some. Uh, unfortunately, that requires sacrifice. Uh, demographics are almost everything. Uh, where you're born, like physically, date you're born, uh, determines so much of your outcome. And well, the demographic phenomena creating the baby boomers occurred. You followed those baby boomers, you made money. Baby boomers had kids. And in fact, they had slightly more kids than boomers. So the baby boomers kids, i.e. the millennials and such, are a larger phenomena. They're beginning to turn 30. So um, shared economy or not, uh, they don't necessarily want to share their home when they formate a family. Uh, how do we help that 30-something who says, you know, it's time to get married. My clock is ticking. I want to have kids. Uh, we decide to get married. How do they approach real estate in this expensive world of ours, Brad? And is it different today than it was when you were, you know, uh, forming your first house? No, I don't think it's any different than when my father was forming his first house. I think the numbers are a bit, high, a bit higher, but it's no different. So, you know, but it's, it's a lot easier to buy. It's a lot easier to finance. It's a lot easier to get a mortgage today. So there's a lot of advantages buying today. But Fair enough. I, yeah. would, I would say that they should start earlier than that. So I don't think you want to buy your first property when you're just forming a family. I think you want to start earlier. And so this is where the sharing economy comes in. You know, there's nothing wrong with buying a, uh, a, a two-bedroom apartment with a friend and each taking a bedroom. It's cheaper. It's going to cost you maybe 60% or 55% of would cost you to own a one-bedroom yourself. So you can get into the marketplace by being clever. You can also. I, I'm sorry. Do, you're saying to purchase a condominium, yeah, or to so, rent an apartment. No, I'm saying I'm saying that if you if you're looking to buy, you know, a lot of guys want to buy one bedroom in their own place, right? Costs you six hundred thousand dollars. Right. Well, you can buy a two bedroom for a million. So in Toronto, would you say it's cheaper to be an owner or a renter for a single individual? It's, it's definitely cheaper to be a tenant. Not yeah. significantly cheaper, but it's probably twenty percent, fifty percent cheaper. But the problem right. with being a tenant, and I've seen this thousands, tens of thousands of times. What tenants do is the rent is less than owning a home, and they don't have to spend the money on a down payment. So they have money in their bank. What do human beings do when they have money in their bank? They spend it. <laughs> the problem is if they didn't spend it, if they took the money and were disciplined and gave it to you, over 30 years they'd be in the same position as a homeowner. But they won't. They'll take that money. They'll go on an extra trip. They'll buy a car. They'll buy that pair of Prada shoes, that Rolex watch, because they got 30, 40 grand in the bank. And that's the problem. Human beings aren't disciplined to save. And a house is disciplined. It makes you save. And that's why homeowners in the United States, the average net worth of a homeowner in the United States is $325,000. The average net worth of a tenant is $8,000. That's it. That's why. Forced savings. It's incredible. Uh, again, I go back to the stock market, Brad. When the stock market is on sale, and it goes on sale almost every year, it's just a matter of how much of a discount, my clients don't call me up and give me money. No, they give me money when things are hot and front page and expensive. And the market, by the way, has just made a new all-time high, the stock market right now. My phone will begin ringing again. Whereas in December of last year, when the world was going to hell in a handbasket, the money wasn't flowing in. Well, uh, so point for, is discipline. Saying, <coughs> the best way people can buy, in terms of accommodations, what Brad is saying makes perfect sense. You buy yourself an affordable piece of real estate. You may have to bring in a family member for your first purchase. And that's what a lot of immigrants do. It's not one family. It's two families buying a home. Mm-hmm. And, and they sacrifice. They rent part of it out. They deal with cash flow. They live beneath their means. That's a smart way to build wealth over 25 years because you eventually pay off the mortgage, hopefully. The same with saving. You need to do it systematically and automatically so that it becomes part of your monthly cash flow. If you expect to save money on your own and then hand it over to your advisor, it won't happen. If you do it monthly and build it into your discipline, 
That's exactly what discipline is. And the second is. part of that Absolutely. equation, too, that Brad touched on is thinking long-term. It's very important. Systematic saving, having a process to do that. We've talked about that a number of times on this show. And then thinking long-term. When you buy a house, you typically don't buy it to flip it. Some people do. But if you want to be a successful real estate investor, I think you do have to think long-term. Brad, I want to pivot for a second here because uh, you, you touched on something. A, a one-bedroom condo versus two-bedroom, better value on the two-bedroom, you're saying? If you want to keep your cost of ownership lower, you can get a one-bedroom and share a living room, dining room, and a bathroom with another person. Mm-hmm. The cost is lower. You get in the marketplace. When you sell it, you split the money, and maybe then you get your own one-bedroom. So if you look at an arc, yep. you're not going to get a house in Toronto in your 30s unless you work for a great company or you have some kind of wealth. It's going to be 40. If you start at 23, 24, you get out of university, you save money for five or six years, you get a down payment. Yep. You buy a place with a friend. This is now in Toronto how you do it. You buy yep. a place with a, with a friend. Uh, it could be a girlfriend. could be a, a boyfriend, whatever. And you, you, you keep that for five or six or eight years till you build some equity. Yep. And then you can sell it and go off your own way. And by that time, maybe you can buy a house. Right? Right. It, might be, it might be the third transaction when you get the place you want. But you've got to be patient. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to save money. You got to, you, you know, from the start when you have a job, you can't spend all your money. You have to put 10 or 20% away. And like you said, put it on a monthly program where it's out of sight. You don't even see it. Boom, it's gone. It's not your money. And then after a couple of years, you wake up and you say, holy yep. SHIT, I have $20,000. <laughs> Correct. Right? And then, you know, after six years, you might have $70,000. And yeah. now you have enough money to buy something. You know, it's incredible because, again, I, I look now to my business. I've now been a, a financial advisor for 18 years. Uh, again, I was in broadcasting prior to. Um, and I, I look at clients who have been with us for those 18 years. And many of them started with us with 150000 bucks. I look at their accounts today, 1.2, 1.3, 1.4, 1.5 million. Well, my brother, 18 my years. brother in his RSP with you. You, you, you took it from I forget what, but it's, it's probably tripled. Yeah. This client confidentiality. But I did, you said it, not I. Um, well, I didn't give the number. No, you did not. <laughs> we, we, we have one of my favorite real estate, actually my favorite real estate mogul in Canada in, in studio, uh, and it's not Warren Buffett. No, it's Brad Lamb. Uh, Jack Hartle, of course, here for the cows. Uh, we're going to go to break, and we're going to get back with Brad Lamb right after this. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. I uh, was watching some HBO and uh, David Byrne. Uh, was it David Byrne who got inducted? No, sorry, I'm thinking the wrong. I'm thinking Roxy Music got inducted into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, great HBO content, by the way, I picked up. My wife and I are watching this inductees into the Music Hall of Fame. Uh, it was just a lot of fun. Uh, anyways, I say that. we got Brad Lamb in the studio. We always g- give him some great tunes to tee him up. Um, in listening to your podcast, um, and by the way, how, how do we find your podcast, uh, Brad? Hmm. Uh... You know, I don't know the answer to that. I would just Google. You go to Brad Lamb Realty, I think, and then you probably go to your media. There you uh, go. Brad, you just Google Brad J. Lamb Podcast. It'll pop up somewhere. Brad J. Lamb Podcast. podcast. Yeah, yeah you'll, it'll pop up. Uh, I think they're excellent podcasts. Uh, I think uh, many a business person can learn something from it. A real estate investor, uh, salesperson, any kind of salesperson, you can learn something from this. It is Well, it speaks about hard work, discipline, and doing the tasks other people aren't willing to do. Uh, it also You also speak frequently about being a, a, an avid reader, and that's, I think, part and partial to why you're so smart. But in one of your podcasts, Jack picked up on um, you wanting little lambs to run over 
certain yeah, parts. Yeah, Brad was talking about his partnerships, and you mentioned already you've been partners with your brothers, I think, for a long period of time. Uh, that was part of the podcast, too, thinking long-term, but you also talked about the importance of partnership in business and having people um, that complement you in business as, as partners. So maybe you could speak to that, and then I think it went towards uh, having some real estate in towards Hamilton, some farmland that uh, yeah. you and your brothers had a bit of a different time horizon on. Right. So um, to, to be clear, I'm actually not a big fan of partnerships, but if you have a partnership, uh, I think you need to look for someone that brings something to the table that you don't have. <laughs> I think it's very hard to find good partners. I'll tell you, Jack and I, yin and yang, complete well, yin and yang. And that's why it works. And my older brother uh, is a, a very calm human being. I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm uh, kind of a raging maniac. I've never seen that side. I don't want to. It's internal, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't share with the class. Keeps the fire inside. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah I, know. I have a fire inside. My brother's more laid back, and and so. You know, I'm a driving personality, and, and he's uh, someone who's a bit more calm. He does a lot of the tasks uh, for us in our company that I just uh, have no skill set or want to do. Yeah, uh, and it works. You know, um, and but we, we, you know, with respect to to real estate, you know, I, I've talked about getting like climbing the real estate ladder. and I think that's fine when you buy a house. The better way to go is to buy a house or buy a property, never sell it. Uh, bring the mortgage, uh, you know, remortgage it, take the money out tax-free and buy another house and then never sell that and uh, and just accumulate homes. That's the way to get rich. But that's a lot of people don't want to do that. With but, but stop, you made a, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt you. You made a very interesting point here. Remortgage your home to pull the money out tax-free because it is yeah. and then use that tax-free money to buy another home. Right. But the other home then will be a capital gain. You rented it. It's, so you it's rent just it. a different way of well, looking you, at compounding your wealth. That's all it is. Yeah, that, that, and you're doing it in a very tax-efficient way. That's very tax-efficient. That's a good move. So my philosophy about, about investing is forever. And it's not forever in my life. It's forever, meaning it never ends. So I'm when I when I pass away at some point, my, my money is going to be set up in a trust, and it's going to be a forever thing, right? And I buy real estate. I have uh, I own uh, many farms and piece of real estate around Toronto and elsewhere. And the ones that are are, are uh, sort of set as long-term, it means forever. We're never selling them. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. You know, I came back from a trip uh, to Germany uh, and parts of various parts of Europe, and I stumbled across a winery called the Klein Winery. Huh? And it is my family. It's my ancestors. Wow. It goes back to 1695, Brad. Talk about for and they still have it. Still have and it. I saw deeds of, of, of land purchases. I should try to send them to you. Uh, just photographs of the front. They're handwritten purchases, uh, purchase sale agreements uh, by hand. Uh, so they own these. I think the the family owns. You know, I used to do those by hand too. <laughs> it wasn't that long. Ago. Yeah, you can see the handwriting. This the is, but this, this is beautiful old handwriting. Gorgeous. Uh, you you could eat off that handwriting. Um, in the interest of time, Brad Lamb, I want to ask you something else here. Uh, I think the opportunity exists for the 1% or the 1% of the 1%. Um, at the super high-end real estate, because uh, there is a cap on real estate. The low-end market, is, there's lots of buyers in the low-end market. That's what makes it expensive. I say low-end market. I mean, you know, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000. That stuff doesn't sit on the market. My dad said, always have a piece of real estate you can sell quickly that is in big demand. That, that part of the market is very efficient because like you oh. said, there's lots of buyers, lots of sellers, lots of inventory and, and it moves, right? And you can finance it too. But when but, you get to the high end of the real estate market, that's where it gets inefficient like, like Drake, and there may like be opportunity. Drake, but we'll talk, let's talk basketball. Let's talk Drake. Sure. Drake, Drake is building and you smile. Drake's building a place in um, the bridal path. Yeah. And I understand that during the construction period, he put up a granite wall so people can't look in. All right. You go to a job site, I, I, even one of your sites. You have granite walls. No, you have gate. You have fencing around it. Cheapest fence I can Cheapest find. Cheapest fence. <laughs> <laughs> Drake put up a granite wall. 
Like, so my point is, if Drake were to sell that property in times of distress, and it happens to, I'm sorry to say, many artists. It happened to Tencent, it, uh, yeah. right? Um, he will not get what he put into that piece of property. Tencent. It did. It happened to Tencent. He got 50 cent on his dollar. <laughs> um, down in Connecticut. When I, when I, I, every now and then I fantasize about some of the high-end stuff. Because I'd love to be able to live in a, in a, in a great home. Like, I'd just love to. I'd, I don't know if I'm going to pull that one off. If, if, if uh, I worked under you, you'd motivate me to pull it off because you're that type of a guy. But when you look at homes that are 8 10 $12 million, um, I think there you're getting massive value because often the replacement cost alone is 50% higher than, than, than what you're paying well, for. See, but right, the, right, the yeah. size of the market is so small, which reminds me, sorry, no different than that Matisse that came into town, yeah. the Heffel auction, it didn't sell. Yeah. So the thing about uh, high-end anything, uh, it's subject to uh, the, the market and the economy at the time. So um, as you know, Asian buyers are a big influence. Uh, foreign buyers are a big influence in buying second homes in Toronto in the high end. Not so much in the small end, in the high end. Now, we now charge foreign investors a tax to buy a second home or investment property. And so it's hurt the high-end business. It absolutely has. Because isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly who bought uh, Peter Brown, my, my, our old chairman of Canaccord, yeah. his home in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, it was an Asian student. Yeah. And I think they paid 16, was it 16 million or $30 million? For I would say it hurts the high-end market, but it creates an opportunity for local people looking to get into that market if they can't afford it. Because like so, you said, Wolf, you end up buying at a potentially below replacement cost. But so when you look at this high-end market, the stuff you know, trading at eight, nine, 10, 12 million dollars, uh, how much of that is foreign money? We do? What percentage of those trades are foreign money? Well, it's far less now, uh, but it's still around. I mean, uh, you know, like you look at what's going on in Hong Kong right now. There's a huge influx of people looking at homes in Vancouver as a result of that. Yeah. So when there's instability in China, China and Russia are huge places where in Pakistan, too, this money comes from the Middle East. When there's when there's problems there, you know, in, in, in Iran, when there's, you know, saber rattling there, the Iranians come to Toronto, come to the United States, come to L.A. Yeah. On the last point, I want to ask you something. If someone comes from Asia and they want to buy a condo, can they come over with a suitcase of fiat currency, of paper cash, and, and purchase a condo? Can, can you accept cash as no, an agent? No, no, you no. cannot accept cash. No, everything is tracked. We have uh, we have an agency, a Canadian agency that tracks it. We have to show where all the money comes from, show the route. It has to come from a check, from a bank. It must come through a bank. Isn't that interesting? A bit of a misnomer out there that there's a lot of money laundering taking Absolutely place. Absolutely not. Well, you can money launder. You can still use banks to launder money. I mean, yeah. there's ways to do it, but... But from our standpoint, from your stand, it's got to come through a financial yeah. institution. So you, you've hoped that they've done their work, and that helps. A lot of that, exonerate an, you. a lot of that anti-money laundering came from back from two thousand and one, right, with nine eleven. So yeah, uh, I'm getting the rap and the slap from Brittany. Uh, we've had Brad Lam on air, an absolute treat and delight to have him in studio on Hi Fire Radio. Uh, do do take a listen to his podcast. I think you'll learn a lot, uh, Brad J. Lamb, Realty, you'll find it. Google him. He's all over the place. Listen to the podcast. You enjoy them. And uh, we are going to speak about cryptocurrency, specifically Facebook, and its new <laughs> cryptocurrency being launched uh, first half of 2020. It's called Libra. It's a huge potential story. Uh, pay attention. You're going to learn something on Hi-Fi Radio right up this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. That is Kryptonite. We're talking cryptocurrency. 
Facebook. Wow. Uh, this, this is a story that has sort of been leaking out and I've been sharing with it on my daily radio uh, newscasts I do. Um, yeah, launching a potential cryptocurrency called Libra. Um, who better to explain this to us than our analyst at Canaccord Genuity uh, Wealth Management through our Capital Markets Division, uh, Michael Graham. Uh, he's an analyst and one of our directors, uh, and uh, he's been on the show many, many times. Big brain, lots to say, lots to share uh, with the class. So uh, appreciate your time. And by the way, Michael right now is in a New York cab in the city of New York City. Uh, so uh, hopefully the reception uh, works, but I'm sure it will. How are you, Michael? Hey, Wolfgang, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. And, yep, I'm on my way to the airport here. So hopefully there won't be any background noise. Uh, but happy to be here. Thank you. All right. No liquids, no gels, and take off your shoes, okay? Just uh, make it easier. Get through that airport, pal. Um, <laughs> let's talk digital currency. Uh, you, you've been on the in the space and, uh, and writing pages or notes, white papers on it. Tell us what this uh, Facebook Libra is all about. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really exciting you know development and for Facebook um, you know but also for the crypto blockchain space uh, it's really what um, you know when Bitcoin started it was you know a very sort of grassroots effort started sort of in a garage uh, took quite a long time for it to gain traction um, Libra is slightly different but it's essentially very similar in terms of being another digital currency. And it's coming to market with the backing of, you know, just some of the very biggest and best companies in the world. Uh, you know, one of the things that we mentioned is like when Libra, you know, comes onto the scene, uh, all those different partners that are, that are involved, whether it's Facebook or Uber or Lyft or MasterCard, uh, Visa, PayPal, PayU, yeah. Stripe, uh, 28, there's 28, there's some smart, yeah, smart people in, at, at that kitchen table uh, discussing this project. But this, uh, this Libra is very different than a lot of the other blockchain and, and Bitcoin cryptocurrencies well, that we've seen. And Mike, because, I'm, I'm going to speak about that difference because right. they, they actually wrote their own language, correct, Michael, to create the code. Yeah, that's right. They're really kind of um, you know building this from the ground up and really taking a lot of the lessons learned from Bitcoin. One of the things that happened with Bitcoin was um, you know, as you know, the way that the network works and the way that transactions are validated uses a thing called proof of work, which takes a lot of computing power and makes the network slow. Very slow, yeah. Bitcoin really didn't evolve into a payment mechanism like some had hoped. Uh, Libra is going to um, you know get around that problem by using a different architecture, and the network should be much, much faster. You know, so there's actually no mining that goes on with Libra. Is that correct, Mike? It's more of you give you give Facebook or Libra a deposit, an electronic payment, and then they give you a coin, uh, which you can transact in. Is that how it uh, is predicted to work anyways? That, that, that is exactly how it works. And, you know, there is validation of transactions. It just uses, um, it uses a different sort of mechanism for doing that. And um, uh, it's, you know, um, it's called something called BFT, Byzantine Fault Tolerant uh, Mechanism, which is different from the proof of work mechanism that Bitcoin uses. And um, it ultimately just is a lot faster. Like right now, the Bitcoin network is processing, you know, four or five transactions per second. And Libra is, um, you know, geared to do 1,000 transactions per second in the beginning. And it probably will be faster going forward. So that makes it, you know, a good thing to use for small payments and things that, that need to happen quickly and inexpensively. You know, again, I'm very excited about a number of different things. Um, a, a sector that's been working very, very well, Michael, and we've been speaking about this, and I, I've been pushing you to give us more coverage on, on this space, is this whole digital payment space. And that goes from 
PayPal, MasterCard, Visa, and the likes of Fizzerves and various software companies um, and, and authenticators uh, along the way. But we are spending more time in this digital world and we are transacting so much so digital payments. I'm, I'm seeing a number here. Global remittance right now is some $700 billion. Um, the, the, but this Libra, the part of the purposes I'm reading here is, is supposed to basically replace that Western Union type need where a lot of people on the planet don't have traditional bank accounts. So my question is, if they're actually looking to target or appease that market who don't have a bank account, I'm saying, how are they going to get on the network if they're not digitized just yet? And they're speaking about a billion and a half people. Uh, and again, we're speaking really third and, world. And do they and really have a whole countries. lot of money to transact with anyways? Yeah. So speak to that, Michael, well, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because, you know, one of the major targets for Libra is the world's underbanked and unbanked. And there are about 1.7 billion adults in the world that are unbanked. Um, you know, these, these folks transact in cash or they barter. Um, you know, they, they have a real track record of um, transacting uh, with mobile phone minutes and things like that. So there's an infrastructure in some of those places for uh, consumers to go into a store or into, you know, some venue and uh, trade in cash for things like mobile phone minutes. Um, and, you know, Libra is going to be set up so that those same folks can go in and trade in cash for Libra. Um, and, you know, it really is a way to help some of these unbanked um, people get access to the digital economy. You know, uh, one reason why we think Uber is interested is because uh, in a lot of the developing countries, Uber um, drivers accept a lot of cash because people just don't have credit cards or bank accounts. And so, you know, that obviously can be very inefficient. And this is a way for, uh, this is a way for, you know, companies like Uber to accept digital payments in those areas. I've never, I've, I've been involved in media directly or indirectly for my entire working career, uh, which now spans 31 years, Jack. Um, I've never seen a media platform, never with 2.5 billion people. This really could be a massive next leg for Facebook. Uh, I'm very excited about it, but I think it could be so massive that the central authorities are going to be so internationally so skeptical on it, plus this whole privacy issue. It could actually stop them dead in their tracks, but the smart people at the table have obviously thought this thing through. It's all about trust. I think Facebook has that and can regain that. But we're going to go to commercial break. We have Michael Graham on the line. No, he's just on the line. He's in a cab in New York City. Talk about speaking to Wall Street firsthand. This is pretty exciting stuff. This is Hi-Fi Radio. Your host, Wolfgang Klein, co-host Jack Hartle, and of course, Brittany, our millennial producer, recently married. We're, of course, working on her financial plan. That is an ongoing potpourri, and we're having so much fun with it. Uh, more of it right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the times they are changing You know, a lot of wisdom in that. Hey, you better start swimming or you're going to sink like a stone and the world does change. Um, disruptive, disruptive technology all day long. And those disruptors are now very, very big companies. I'm speaking about Amazon. I'm speaking about Google. Uh, I was speaking about Facebook, and Facebook certainly has been in the crosshairs more than the other two I mentioned. Uh, but, but, the, and, and, but now they want to launch a currency. 
governments need their currency. Like, that gives governments some clout and some reason for being. Without a currency... Well, they, that, li- they like monopolies, and they got one on currency, so I don't think they really want to give that one up so easily. So what do you think? And this is a global currency which doesn't exist. This is better than gold. Okay, This, this, this is no fool's gold. This is better than gold. We have Michael Graham on the line. He's not just on the line. He's in a cab in New York City, uh, just about to board a plane, but he's been gracious enough to give us a little bit of his time. He's an analyst, of course, and he covers the Facebook story, uh, who recently announced they're going to be launching their own cryptocurrency backed by some 28 founding members. And I'm speaking about the big boys in finance, MasterCard, Visa, PayPal. Uh, is it JP Morgan involved in this story as well? Is Goldman Sachs on this on this story? Um, you know, none of those big other banks are, um, but you're right on Visa and MasterCard. And I do think, you know, right now the Libra Association, which is that governing body, is at 28 members yeah, uh, they want to get to a hundred members, and so I really think that between now and the end of this year, we're going to be seeing some more, you know, really big companies uh, joining that. And you mentioned earlier, like that this could be big for Facebook. The actual direct revenue implications for Facebook are actually very modest. Uh, I don't think they're they're going to generate like direct revenue, say like PayPal does, um, you know, from this in a major way. But what they will get as a benefit is um, a lot more um, engagement yeah, with. That's- Yep, Fantastic. time spent listening, well, man. That's exactly what you need. It's, you know, it's amazing. I go back to, I, I, I got a 10-year, actually, it's not a 10-year. It goes back to 2010, uh, the revenue uh, for Facebook. In 2010, Facebook generated just under $2 billion in revenue. 2011, just under $4 billion. 2012, $5 billion. $8 billion. $12 billion. $18 billion. $27 billion. But every- $40 billion. $55 billion in revenue last year, estimated to do just under $70 billion. This company continues to grow. This launch pad, I don't know, Michael, I think they're going to monetize this more than anyone could imagine. Every, every time we talk about Facebook with anyone that's, I'm going to say, under 50, they say it's a not a dead platform, but they're... Subscriber growth is not growing. Yeah. People think that it's not exciting anymore. It's mom and dad's and grandma and grandpa's on it. Right. And we say, you, you know what? Brad Lamb said that he was just in the studio. Brad Lamb with us. He said, you know, Facebook isn't isn't the way the future is. It's rather property. Speak to that if you don't mind. Interest of time, Michael. Is Facebook going to be around in five or ten years? And is it relevant? Yeah. We think it is. Well, it, it is. I mean, you know, the, the core Facebook platform uh, is, you know, definitely not growing as quickly as it used to be. But now they've got Instagram, which... You know, a lot of those younger users that are leaving Facebook, they're actually going to Instagram, which is still Facebook. And um, then they've also, you know, where this Libra concept really comes in is on their messaging platforms, you know, WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger, where they have billions of users. And, um, you know, if they can turn those into payments platforms, sort of like Venmo at PayPal, um, you know, they can do a couple of things. One is just increase engagement. Uh, They can get transaction fees, but it can also um, help their advertisers do more direct transactions right there, and Facebook can get. You oh, know, isn't that interesting? Advertisers interesting. right there and there. Yeah, and Venmo, by the way, again up here in Canada, we don't have Venmo. Jack, you know, that, is that peer? It's to with pay- PayPal. That, that's that's that, peer to peer, and so that's basically they're going to be uh, targeting that part of the business as well. Uh, Michael Graham, uh, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate your time. I hope you don't miss your flight uh, for joining us here on Hi-Fi Radio. The man of Wall Street, the man who covers uh, Facebook and all those cool tech companies, Amazon as well, Google, all in your ballywick. Uh, I wish you a safe flight, my good friend. I appreciate your insight. Uh, this is Hi-Fi Radio. It's been a pleasure and a treat to spend an hour with each and every one of you. Uh, Jack Hartle, of course, my right-hand man, uh, great, great partner I do have. I'm very fortunate in that. 
And Brittany, our millennial producer, big smile, uh, always so keen to have Jack and I in studio. And that's why we come back next week and we will do just that. Wish you a great weekend. All the best. Listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.